And I think that's what drew me to rap and hip hop more than anything was from my past and growing up feeling like I had to bottle all of that up and wasn't able to really speak my mind and finally having an outlet and a platform where I could say exactly what I wanted to say without mincing words, without watering it down. You don't believe what you believe just because it's how they raise you. Think your own thoughts. Don't let them do it for you. Say you want to drink. Don't wait for people to pour it on you. Cut out the lies. Stay close to people you know are loyal. Grab your own glass and fill it. Don't let your fear destroy you. There's a lot of other people who have felt the same things, who have experienced the same things, and they just need to know that they're not the only ones and that they have comrades that have gone through the same shit. And I hadn't discovered that until I started really just starting to put myself out there. And then I was like, whoa, other people feel this way too. Oh, this means something to other people. Like, wow, I didn't realize I could have that effect on people. Surround yourself with people that challenge how you think. Not people that nod their head and act like they agree. Those people that cut you open just to watch you bleed. Always be yourself, not the person that you pretend to be. That is Sarah Landris. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. Sarah learns by doing, and she has done a lot, from making clothes, starting multiple businesses, qualifying for nationals and fitness competitions, and making art and music. She's releasing her first album and performing live in less than two weeks. Here's how that started. Almost two years ago, I was responding to somebody who is a friend of mine, but we are always kind of flirtatious with each other. And so I was just kind of like trying to put him in his place. We always like shared rap lyrics with each other back and forth. And we were both like really into rap. And so we would just like text each other rap lyrics or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this time I decided that I was just going to write something up off the top of my head. I don't know, be kind of like cheeky or whatever towards him. And I like, I wrote it and like kind of surprised myself because it, <laughs> flowed really well and like kind of rhymed too and I was like oh damn that just like came off the top of my head uh -huh. and I was like I wonder what would happen if I put that to music and so I put it to one of my favorite songs by Rihanna and it was actually kind of cool and people I put it online and people really liked it and so I was like man this is kind of fun I like it I had uh, somebody I had a lot of distaste for at the time who was an ex <laughs> I wanted to tell them off and I was never never felt like I could really express myself and say the things the exact mm. things that I wanted to say to them in person. So I wrote like a diss rap about them just saying everything every single thing that I felt, calling them out on all the bullshit. People loved it. It got like three thousand <laughs> views and like my Facebook just blew up about it. People were sharing it and stuff. Uh -huh. And so I was like, damn, this is so cool. <laughs> like I'm just gonna keep doing this. It's awesome and and so I just, I had some friends who, who made music and who made beats and stuff. And so I just started going with it and started writing just everything, writing, 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 writing. Ended up running into um, some people through a mutual friend who I make music with now, my friend Tyler, Anthony, Brandon, and we just started making music together. And they were already kind of friends and encouraged me. And I've always written my own stuff, but, you know, they kind of helped me with my flows, improving and whatnot. And here we are a year and a half later and we're doing our first show on the 26th and I'm putting out an album. So it's kind of one thing led to another, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And I've always written music and, and, you know, written poetry and stuff like that. So this kind of came a little bit second nature to me, but I still had a lot to learn. That's a good point. Is music, it's been part of your life. Has like writing an album or perform, has that been something that's been always part of your life? Or is this starting to be like a major emphasis now where things are shifting towards it? 
music is always something that I've leaned on ever since I was really young. Even when I was a little kid, I was writing music, and I'm sure most little kids do, but I continued on through my adolescent years and um, took up piano, was always writing poetry. I was kind of like an emo <laughs> junior high, high schooler, just like really in my feelings about like boys and stuff like that. And so I would write poems and, you know, write in my diaries and stuff like that. But I would really express my feelings through written words, whether I showed it to people or not. did start actually writing music as well. Once I learned how to play the piano, I figured out how to put chords together, you know, how to put melodies together through going to church and, and, and being involved in um, our church music group. I learned about singing harmonies and melodies and stuff like that, got experience performing in front of, you know, hundreds of people at youth camps and stuff like that, I'm comfortable with that side of me. So that and then along with that, my father is very musical. He plays the guitar and used to write songs as well. Mm. When we were kids, he used to write songs and play them for us. So it really has been a part of my life. However, it was not something that I used to think that I could really pursue in a more, I guess, a more selfish sense. I always felt the only outlet for music for me was through church and, and, and being on a worship band. And it wasn't until later now that I was like, oh, this is something that I could do, not just for myself, but other people. And, and maybe I could share that with other people. Part of the, the church music scene, and has that continued throughout your life, or was that something like enough is enough? I did that probably into my early 20s, and then just got really burnt out on it because it is a very volunteer thing, mm. and and there's you really had to follow somebody else's rules as far as what kind of music you're singing, mm. how you perform, dressing, all of that kind of stuff, and, and the genre. I didn't feel like I could be my creative self in that and really express myself the way I wanted to, so I just I set it down for several years just kind of felt burnt out on it this is me kind of picking back up and you know doing things a little bit more true to who I am and I don't imagine the church I don't imagine the style was hip-hop or rap I could be wrong on that but I'm guessing that was not how you were performing so do you feel that the nature of the genre of rap that that allows you to it's it's a place where you can actually express anger and that's acceptable like do you feel that's kind of something unique about that I respect the people who are Christians and, and who, you know, attend church and things like that. But it's just not the setting or format to express yourself those kind of darker emotions mm. or, you know, kind of more gritty, raw thoughts and ideas and, and things like that. And I think that's what drew me to rap and hip-hop more than anything was from my past and growing up feeling like I had to bottle all of that up and mm. wasn't able to really speak my mind Mm. and finally having an outlet and a platform where I could say exactly what I wanted to say without mincing words, without watering it down. And has that kind of been a progression through your life? Or is like, is this kind of the first time now that you felt okay expressing yourself fully? And like you said, throughout life, you've always had to kind of re- repress or deny that you were mm-hmm. angry about things? I would say probably in the last few years. So it's definitely something more recent that I've kind of mm. discovered my own voice and being comfortable and being confident enough to say exactly how I feel and not apologizing for it. Mm. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's a progression, but it's been only fairly recently that this has kind of developed. That's really cool. And then to be getting on stage, putting it out there, that's next level. Growing up, what was kind of your story where it's like, what were you doing or what were you into and where did you kind of see yourself going? Art 
always art. Ever since I was really young, I always said, I'm going to be an artist when I grow up. When I grow up, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be an artist. You know, there was a few other things here and there. I did I did secretly, like, want to be a singer. Like, I really looked up to a, a lot of different famous musicians and stuff like that. I think because of the context of, of church and things like that, I just didn't ever think of that that was a possibility. So I didn't really explore it very much. I and Instead, I leaned more towards the art side of things, which is still a huge passion of mine and still a huge part of my life. And, and that's always... I mean, that's really the long-term thing, too. But yeah, always an artist. Always told people I'm an artist. I'm going to be an artist. Artwork was where I felt like I could really shine and be validated. People appreciate my ideas through art. And art's a very expansive term. So what all does being an artist mean to you? (laughs) Like, what, what were the things in art that you were drawn to or that you've done? Younger, always drawing, constantly drawing. I remember when I was really young, I, and this is, almost obsolete now. I wanted to be a Disney cartoon animator Mm -hmm. back when they used to have, you know, hundreds of people drawing and sketching and stuff like that. So that was always my thing. I'm going to be a Disney animator. So I've gone through different phases, but definitely like visual arts as far as drawing. I've always loved drawing people, painting people, things like that. And as I got older, that kind of morphed into kind of like fashion design. I've always kind of been into marketing too. So definitely along the retail, like clothing, that type of thing, sketching out different ideas for clothing lines and stuff like that. So that's kind of been the theme. You know, I'll always do things like paintings and stuff like that. That always is kind of like intermixed. But as far as like career-wise, definitely within like fashion and marketing fashion and like you're into fashion you're into art and painting and drawing you're also into music and has fitness been a part of your life yeah fitness has been a big part of my life that was kind of something that I explored I think at a time in my life where I felt a little bit too vulnerable to fully explore my artistic side Mm. Um, it was a little bit of a safety net for me for a while so I got into that and you know, started bodybuilding, recognizing that I, I tend to have a more muscular physique and that I build muscle fairly quickly and easily. And so I started getting into that, competing in bodybuilding, did fairly well, getting first and second place trophies and qualifying for nationals. I, I spent a, probably a five to six year period of time just consuming everything Mm. fitness learning as much as I could before Instagram and all that stuff you know (laughs) I I would go on um, bodybuilding.com and read all the articles that I could and I started pursuing that journey in in, uh, college as well as far as uh, exercise science degree goes so that was a big part of my life for for quite a while and is that something unique to you because what you're saying is like getting on stage as a bodybuilder so i'm assuming you're in a bikini right like that for you is a safety Mm -hmm. net where that is less threatening than being an artist ironically yes (laughs) (laughs) i haven't had a problem being on stage most of my life or at least starting in my teen years i got very comfortable being on stage in whatever Mm -hmm. capacity that was so stepping on stage in a bikini for me was as comfortable as singing on stage for me. So, mm. yeah, it wasn't too much of it. And I also did dance, too, so performing in front of people doing that type of thing as well. So stage, stages don't scare me. <laughs> for a lot of people, I, I would imagine, like, what you find to be less challenging, like, oh, it's easy to get on stage to perform or to, you know, have worked out <laughs> and, like, yeah. have people judging me. Oh, no, no big deal. 
but for you, like, it sounds what's more challenging is expressing your anger or what other... Not just anger. I'm not, a, I'm just not just a very angry person, but like, just, you know, expressing emotions, thoughts, ideas, things that are more objective, I guess. Feels more personal to you? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess those are the more personal things, those ideas and in my thoughts and that type of thing, I, I suppose. How did you view your body? Did you view that as part, a big part of yourself or that was just, I mean, that's just the result of doing the right exercises and the right diet and it was yeah. very, science, so it was more scientific based? It was more scientific, very technical, not very personal. Hmm. To be completely transparent, I've never been somebody who has struggled a lot with weight. Mm. With the exception of when I got pregnant and getting back in shape after I had a baby. It's not been something that's been a big struggle of mine necessarily. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I never had the teasing, you know, the, 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 the things that cause insecurities about their bodies, mm -hmm. fortunately. So it's not, it was never as much of a personal thing to me. And that wasn't, I've, you know, I've had my own little insecurities and stuff like that, but not to the extent of, of a lot of people who have dealt with that type of stuff. From what I know, that sounds like a pretty unique perspective, or it's like it wasn't something you struggle with. The thing today is right Instagram, where it's like you hear the stories of like 13 or 16-year-old girls, and they're scrolling through, and then they're comparing themselves to these people who have like the perfect life, and they look amazing, and it just kind of like destroys them. So it's not even, maybe that started with someone making fun of them, but how do you, I mean, I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on... Why do you feel that? I really thought is this. It's like, this person has muscles. I have muscles. This person has body fat. I have body fat. So all I need to do is do what they're doing, and then I can look like them. So I don't mm. know why my mind works that way necessarily, if that's a learned thing or if that's the way my mind functions in a more scientific manner. But it just it was always a thing like, I just have to do this. And, you know, and, and from the very beginning, when I first got into fitness, I just started logging my food. I just started saying, this is how many calories I'm going to eat. And I just need to figure out every day what I was. And, you know, of course, there was, there was definitely times where I was very hard on myself. Mm -hmm. But I never strayed from the idea that if I just follow the rules or if I just do the right actions, then I can get out of it what I want. And so, it, like I said, it was a very separate thing from my emotions. It was just a very... Kind of compartmentalized. I need to research more. I need to learn more about this. I need to learn what it is that I need to do because these people are already doing it kind of a thing. And I, I wish that, that I had that capacity and it was a little bit stronger in other areas of my life. But for whatever reason, <laughs> for fitness, it was just very much like that. I guess I treated it as like taking a test. It's like you learn the information, you, you know, do what you're supposed to do and then you pass kind of a thing. Yeah, but then you must have like a very unique perspective within the world of fitness competition. Most people, they are, they're not just eating food and following the rules. It's like, this is how I am a good person or this is how I'm successful. And it becomes very competitive and very almost toxic. Yeah. For someone just from the outside, like what would you kind of say about what you got into? What are kind of the pitfalls and how did you kind of navigate dealing with that environment? I would say that your self image is not going to necessarily improve by doing those things you would still you know you still have to deal with your insecurities and learn how to accept yourself regardless and I think that a lot of people go into mm. that thinking that they'll like themselves more I would say in the same way that people are like if I get really rich and have a lot of money then I'll be happy mm -hmm. I'll you know have this and mm -hmm. it's like 
no, you still, it's a, it's a mindset thing that you have to deal with. I think that a lot of people do get into that thinking that they'll be happier with themselves. But unfortunately, that can sometimes lead to body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. where, where you think that, oh, if I make more and more improvements, oh, I'm not happy. Well, I just need to improve more. I'm not happy. I, I just need to improve more to like myself more. You're never going to get anywhere with that. Agreed. What did you kind of use to measure your own success then if you weren't relying on what others told you was first place must mean I did good and second place must mean I suck? How did you kind of avoid letting others define what you were doing? I guess it's the same kind of mindset. It was like when I got qualified for nationals, I still qualified, but I actually got second place in that show. And the chick that I that I got second place to, I gave credit to her because I, I could see visually mm. that there are certain aspects of her physique that were more developed than mine. And, you know, whether she had been more in tune with her diet or she'd been working longer than I had or she was doing some different exercises, it's kind of just like back to that very technical aspect of Mm -hmm. I got second place. There was another competition I didn't get first place, but I looked at the other girl and I was like, truthfully, she didn't really look much better than me. So... You know, mm, either it was a thing mm-hmm. with the judges or whatever, but regardless, it's kind of a thing where you just keep going. I learned how to enjoy the process of it. I loved the process, mm. too. It wasn't just about the outcome. It was that I loved lifting weights. I loved seeing my body transform. I love, at a certain point, you kind of enjoy the feeling of being a little bit hungry. Not in a bad <laughs> way, but it's just like you feel, you can uh-huh. feel your body working. You can feel your body metabolizing fat. Like, you can feel those things. And so that aspect of competing was, was very enticing to me because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge of the discipline of it people witnessing that level of discipline is very inspiring and motivating to other people too. So there were multiple levels of it that I enjoyed more than just like, tell me I'm better than everybody else. Tell me I'm the best. It was, it was more than that. Because that's the pitfall and those other areas were, were what allowed you to avoid that. Yeah, because if you're just in it to seek validation, if you're just in it to get a trophy that you actually probably paid about $1,000 to get... <laughs> for each competition because that's what you don't make money until you're at the very top and even then it's not that good Mm. so that's the other thing you have to keep in mind is like if you're just so like trophy driven like you have to think about it in like the practical sense of reality like i'm putting all this work in so what am i doing it for because i'm not getting paid i'm paying them it's got to be bigger than that so anyway yeah so for me it was just enjoying the process of it enjoying the community and once once I didn't enjoy those things anymore and once those things weren't important to me, um, you know, or I didn't really care for some of the community with it or, you know, the attitudes around it, it just wasn't for me anymore. And it, was, it wasn't hard for me to give up. I was just like, this is, I kind of got what I wanted out of it. It taught me some things. And this, like you said, was five or six years of your life. So while you were doing this was like fashion and making clothes and making art and making music had that kind of fallen by the wayside the making art for sure i was still pretty heavily into like creating clothing and stuff like that that was around the time when i got married so i made my wedding dress designed it and you know made my bridesmaids dresses and things like that but also while i was competing (laughs) i was making 
and designing and decorating competition suits. I was mm-hmm. able to use my creativity and that aspect of it. I was making them for other people and all, as well as making my own. So I did get to be creative in the process and do my hair and things like that. I got to enjoy that uh, more artistic element of it where um, probably most people that do compete don't, aren't involved in that side of it. So it was more well-rounded, I guess, in my, in my experience with it. There's so many different layers or levels at which you're doing things that you can't just say you're doing this for one reason. You know, one simple reason explains it all. How did you kind of transition out of fitness? Like, did you just kind of leave fitness or did you kind of use that to pivot into something different? I started transitioning out of it uh, probably when I got to my last competition and really had settled in with how I felt about my body. You know, like I said, it was never a huge roadblock for me. But there were certain aspects of my body that I had a hard time accepting, like when I wasn't super lean. Um, I really liked Mm -hmm. having that leanness to me and stuff like that, and that was really important to me for a long time. That's the aesthetic that I I liked. But eventually Mm -hmm. I kind of really started observing more people and what different people look like, I guess, and, and, and observing what I thought was beautiful outside myself and realized that there's a lot of different ways that the human body can look in a lot of different ways that, you know, people can be attractive in in different forms. With that being said, I was trying out for a arena football dance team. I did have to change my look because I really wanted to do that. So I had to gain a little bit of body fat and not be so stringy lean. I got to that point and I was like, hey, you know, I kind of like my body like this. In order to advance in, in bodybuilding, I would have had to put on a lot of more muscle on my upper body to compete at the national level, which I had qualified for. And I just was at the point where I was like, I don't really like how that looks. I don't want to have really big shoulders and big biceps and stuff like that. It's just not something I want anymore. And so I can't be motivated to put all of that work in to create that kind of body that I don't really even enjoy or want to have. I was like, well, there's not really a place for me in bodybuilding anymore because the physique that I like doesn't fit into any of the categories. That was kind of like my foray out of bodybuilding, and I was very content and happy and okay with it. And um, people would continue to ask me when I was going to compete again and when my next show was, and I was just like, well, still enjoy working out. I'm still going to go to the gym like I like I have for years <laughs> right. and years and years, but competing is just not for me anymore. What is it that does motivate you? Because like you're saying, most people are like, wow, she's becoming successful. She's reached the next level. She Mm -hmm. can now go to nationals. If it was me, of course, I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to be successful at even a higher level. But for you, it's like that doesn't even speak to you. What does motivate you? If it's not the outward form of success, what is it that kind of has you jump from one project to another? I would say probably challenging myself learning about myself a lot of the things and phases I've gone through is really simply just me experimentally learning about myself so Mm -hmm. what might look on the outside like somebody like I'm pursuing a career path or I'm doing that type of thing I'm just really learning a lot of things about myself and I would say I'm I would consider myself a late bloomer like I'm, I'm somebody who really didn't feel the freedom to explore myself you know at a younger age so where mm-hmm. most people might be settled in their careers at this time, I'm still like learning a lot about myself and what I like and what interests me and, and what's something that resonates with me. So I would say what motivates me is just learning and challenging myself and trying things to see if it's a good fit for me, if it's something that I like. 
and then as I'm kind of settling into some other things, like I guess my motivations have become a little more altruistic as, as opposed to being mm-hmm. like more self-centered, I guess. Touching on that, so when like you're growing up, is that is the church part of what kind of made you feel restricted or not yeah. free to? So how did you get over that? I stopped going to church. That was for you. What allowed you to eventually be on this path where you can express negative feelings? What did that allow for you to do that you couldn't have experienced before? What you just said is just like accepting my experiences as a human and not putting judgments on them or labeling them as wrong or right. Mm-hmm. Instead, just saying this is being human. This is there's things that maybe are less comfortable or less flashy and shiny and wonderful that we experience. And then there's some really like beautiful, glorious things that are, that you can be very proud of, I guess. And so it's more just being like, that's okay to have both of those. We all have our highs and lows. We all have, you know, our things we're proud of and things we're not so proud of. We all have kind, wonderful, genuine moments. We all have our very selfish, ugly, mm-hmm. vindictive things too, you know, that we do. And not trying to exclude any category of the human experience is the point that I got to. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of what allowed me to do that, unfortunately, was really um, distancing myself from my parents who were kind of a large source of that shame and judgment. In general, my experience with the church has been the same thing. Really changing the people that I surround myself with and the environments that I surround myself with. I've really learned to trust my own instincts as a human and not just believe that I'm at my core horrible, faulty individual, but that that generally speaking, I'm I'm a pretty good person that cares about other people. For you, it was... It restricted your experience where you did not feel comfortable expressing your desires or what you felt or what you thought to be true. It's like someone else was had the authority to define that for you. And, and then it opens up a whole other set of questions, which is like, how do I now navigate life? Like if I've thrown off this way of knowing what is good or bad, and I'm kind of doing away with those terms. I mean, so how, if someone does something awful to you, how do you now view that or what's kind of the way you like say that wasn't right? I I think it's just, it gets down to, like, trusting my, I feel like we all have a deeper inner, like, instinct and gut and intuition about us. For me, mm-hmm. it was just reacquainting myself with that and, and trying to not filter things through what I was taught and what I learned. I mean, obviously, that's always going to be an influence on everything. Like, we can't humans, like, separate what our environment has taught us. However, mm-hmm. I really think that there is there is something inside of us that does give us direction, and I maybe some people call that God. I believe that we all have that inside of us, and so it's just learning. I was I was taught not to trust that, so I'm, I'm retraining myself that, that there is something to be said about what what those um, instincts and those um, those intuitions are telling me. What I'm hearing you say is like the big lesson you had to unlearn from like your parents and the church and that environment was mm-hmm. to to deny what you were feeling mm-hmm. or to, and to not express that and that what you're supposed to do is to be like a people pleaser and to mm-hmm. seek to is that kind of what your experience was like yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly 
and that's part of what, like you're saying, you knew you loved music, but back then the context that music was shaped through was, again, you weren't expressing your feelings or what you were struggling with. It's this is what is acceptable for who I'm performing for. Yep, exactly. Now you've kind of had this life progression where you've kind of, you're still, the music is still there, but it's now taking on a different form of expression. And it's like, here's some things I've had on my mind for quite some time. Well, and learning not only that the, is that cathartic for me and that it feels good for me and it's, I get to express myself, but also realizing, and, and the same thing with my art, that it, it brings meaning to other people. Like, I would say that even overshadows mm-hmm. what it does for me because mm. there's a lot of other people who have felt the same things, who have experienced the same things, and they just need to know that they're not the only ones and that they have comrades, you know, that have, have gone through the same shit, have felt the same feelings or maybe just didn't have the confidence or the, the ability to express it. And so one person expressing those things, it just pays dividends to the people who are able to connect with that. And that to me is a very worthy cause to pursue art, to pursue music. That's the meaningful part to you besides just the enjoyment of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I hadn't discovered that until I started really just starting to put myself out there. And then I was like, whoa, other people feel this way too. Oh, people are, this means something to other people. Like, wow, I didn't realize I could have that effect on people. Right, where it's like we're all walking through the world thinking we're broken and alone, and we don't realize that's how everyone feels because we're all trying to pretend to have, yeah, with our masks on. Just kind of fill in some more of the picture of like some of the things you've done, like with the fashion. Tell me like about the, the like the New York trip you went on. Like I think this was kind of early on. Shortly after high school, I like I said, I don't know what this is about me. There's like I I can go from very shy and riddled with anxiety to taking big risk. Uh-huh. Shortly after high school, I knew that I was passionate about art. I have been sewing and creating things since I was 10 years old, and it's something that I dearly love, and I, and I picked up sewing and, and essentially self-taught because I wanted to create my own things that I could not find in the store. That combined with my love of art, color, patterns, you know, all of those different things, I was like, I need to look into fashion school. But, of course, not just any fashion school. I had to go to the top schools in the country and go look at those schools because if I was going to go into fashion school, I needed to do the most challenging, the very best, the hardest. So I I took a trip over to New York City, um, stayed with a friend of the family for a week there, and essentially explored New York City by myself. I went to Parsons Fashion Institute of Technology. Parsons is the one for Project Runway. They they do a lot of filming for that there. Mm. And so I went to both of those schools. I went to some informative orientation type things there and, you know, just kind of explored the school. Fully intended on applying to school, you know, when I got back and stuff like that. Loved New York. And then I got back to my little apartment in Vancouver, Washington, where I lived at the time, and started filling out the application. Fear set in, just feeling not good enough, like I couldn't compete, like there's no way I'd get in, I didn't want, mm. I feared being rejected and all of that. Eventually ended up talking myself out of it, of course coming up with a few excuses as to why it was a better idea that I didn't apply. Yeah, That was kind of the story with that, and much as I wish I could go back and encourage my younger self to be like, just go for it, stop being such a chicken with the worst uh-huh. thing they can have, they can have is they say no when you try again or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's a really good marker for me to reference 
reference and that I've referenced in my life ever since then and that has given me a lot more courage than I had at the time is to remember back to that. And the feeling that I had of giving up on that and and not even trying, not even trying, you know, not even trying, is a Mm. huge feeling of regret that I have, a huge feeling of what if. I had mm. and the the sour taste that that left in my mouth and, and disappointment mm. in myself for not believing in myself has has really given me a lot of courage and drive to do all of the other things that I've done. And that's really interesting. That was something that was meaningful to you that you were too scared to do and in one sense failed at. And a lot of people would choose to deny that or to avoid those feelings or to try to say I didn't really care about it. But for you because you were honest about how you actually felt, that is what has motivated you to not experience that again? Yeah, it's a never, like, that's why I'm not afraid to try things. Because of how awful I felt and disappointed in myself I was, that I didn't do mm-hmm. that. And I don't know where that disappointment comes from exactly, but I, because of how awful that disappointment felt, I'm like, I'll never want to feel disappointed in myself again. I don't ever want to have questions about what if I, what if I had tried this. I hate that question of what if. You know the mindset I'm talking about where a lot of people, when they look back on their life and they did something that either wasn't good or they didn't like or they felt bad about, they continue to choose to try to ignore how they really feel about it because they don't know how to deal with those feelings. And that kind of allows them to continue making the same mistakes because they they forget how awful it does feel. Whereas for you, because you honestly faced it, it propelled you to well, next time I'm going for it because as scary as it is to go for it, I know what's worse than that, which is to not. I think part of that is, is I would have to probably attribute that to how I was raised to a certain extent because even though my parents, mm-hmm. there were some things that they really didn't do right, they did teach mm-hmm. me and my siblings responsibility, self-responsibility, and taking ownership mm-hmm. of your decisions. And I definitely think that that's, that comes into play with that and saying, you know what, I'm the, I did this. Uh, this is my decision. I'm going to own it. I didn't like how that felt, and so I'm not going to allow myself to do that again. Perhaps do you tell me about the business side of things? Because what you described so far is like you know you you wanted to be an artist. You have these very creative, like I'm making clothes or I'm making music or I'm competing in competitions. What's what? Do you also have kind of a business side to you? I'm always thinking of ways to make money. I don't know why my brain works that way but it's like how can I make money at this how can I do I think it's just like always wanting to turn something that I enjoy doing or that I, or at least I think I'll enjoy doing <laughs> into making money because I I don't even know why I just have always been that way I'll give you an example when I was eight years old I was always the one coming up with ideas but me and my best friend I talked her into helping me make a perfume business for the schoolyard <laughs> And uh, and she had these little this little perfume kit that she had got for her birthday, little Sally perfume makeup kit that you get when you're like eight years old from <laughs> Toys R Us, which is now obsolete. Anyway, so so she she had this little kit. I was like, we should make perfume, but not just any perfume, pine perfume because people love the smell of the outdoors, and I think that people would really like this. So. We literally started our own little chemistry lab at her house. We mixed up all of this perfume that she had with some who knows whatever other ingredients and pine needles. <laughs> so ridiculous now. But we awesome. we bagged it up. We put it in little baggies. We took it with our with us to school, 
and we made money. <laughs> we went and sold it to the kids on the playground, and they bought it from us, and the teachers had to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been scheming and coming up with things ever since I was young. So that hasn't changed really into adulthood. I had this idea for the jug club several years ago, probably five years ago, five or six years ago now, when I was still married and, and a stay-at-home mom. I saw this kid with a jug at the gym, and he had it covered in camouflage duct tape. And I was like, that's so cool. And I should, I went up and asked him, I was like, yeah, that's so cool. How did you do that to your jug? And he was like, oh, I just used some duct tape that I got from the store. I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to do that to my jug. So I went to the store, and of course, that was when they were starting to come out with some really wild printed duct tape. Mm-hmm. picked out all, some of my favorites, and I started wrapping my jug because I'm an artist, and I like bright colors, and and life's too boring without some sort of artistic twist mm-hmm. on it. <laughs> so I started covering my jugs like that, and then I kind of discovered a way that I could leave a little space open so I could see how much water I had left because I wanted to be practical. So I was like, I need to track my water. And this is when I was starting to get back in shape after having my son and you know, possibly thinking about competing again. I needed to drink my gallon of water a day, all of that. I started wrapping my jug, leaving some space to see how much water I had left. And then I started marking it off by the hour of the day and so that I could drink I, I also am kind of a math nerd, so I was like, if I drink eight ounces every hour that I'm awake, if I'm awake for, what, what is it, um, 16 hours a day, eight ounces an hour will give me a gallon a day, and then I won't, I'll pace myself throughout the day. So I marked my jug off. I even measured how much eight ounces was in the gallon and marked each line. So then I started doing that and making those, and then, I mean, of course, what do you know? People are like, that's so cool. Will you make me one? Will you make me one? So I started making them for mm-hmm. my friends, and I got really, like, kind of wild with it, you know, with all different colors and stuff, and that's just the artistic, creative side of me. So I started making a special order, and I was like, then my brain starts thinking, I wonder if I could sell these. I don't know why. I always go there. So... Yeah. Like maybe I could sell these, and I have a cool name for it, the Jug Club, because it's kind of funny, you know, that it's catchy, it's simple, whatever. <laughs> Shelved the idea for a couple of years, and then I got divorced, and then that was when I had all of this energy and was like, I'm gonna do everything that I couldn't do when I was married, and I'm just gonna prove to the mm. world that I'm independent and smart, and you know, whatever. I don't know that I had to prove some stuff to people, but. <laughs> So, so I had like all of this motivation to like get back to all the things that I was doing before I got married and stuff, all the things I said I was going to do and, and didn't get around to doing. Then I started doing my research and development and I started looking into different ways that I could wrap a jug and like what methods were available. And I, you know, knocked my head against the wall thinking everything from shrink wrap to stickers to, you know, what I couldn't figure it out, you know, whatever. I knew it was inefficient to cover jugs with duct tape. Then I ended up coming across neoprene lunch boxes that keep your food cold and I was like aha I know how to sew I can make this out of neoprene the jug club was born I started making them and people thought they were cool and it just kind of grows from there I guess that's kind of how things start with most businesses and Mm -hmm. did what I needed to allow the demand of what people wanted from me to grow and you know created a website came up with new designs and ideas and marketing and different things like that and I just kind of went with it 
really essentially because it was an idea that I had and there was a demand for it. And that's kind of how I fell into both businesses that I did, which is the other one was a meal prep and delivery business because people started asking me to do it. So I did it and then more people asked and then I just went with it because it was working and it was what was available to me. And so it sounds like both of those are kind of related to you were doing your bodybuilding competitions and those Mm -hmm. kind of both kind of came out of that in one sense. In the in the fitness world, the competition can be very negative, and like there's toxic people, and it can kind of be a bad environment. When you got into the business world of making your jugs and then doing the meal prep industry, is that was that a much better environment to have been in? Um, it really wasn't too bad, especially because it was just me working for myself. I I had to learn a lot about like pricing appropriately and that was probably my biggest downfall was was reading Mm. what figuring out what the market would pay what you know what the market was valuing what I was doing at and and how much I I should be charging for it you live and you learn kind of a thing but I would say the biggest thing that I experienced which is unfortunate but this kind of is echoes through all of my life and I'm sure other females have experienced this as well there there tends to be when it comes to stuff like that I will not say all because I'm not one to make blanket statements, but a lot of males will use things like that as an excuse to talk to attractive females, see if they can get in close with you, maybe they can date you, things like that. And so I definitely experienced a lot of that with not as much with the jug club, a lot with the meal prep business. Guys would order from me just so they could ask me out on a date or so they could have a phone number, that type of thing. Not all of them, but some. I still got my money out of it, but <laughs> but uh, I definitely did experience um, men trying to use that or try to quote unquote talk business with me to to basically just get my attention. That's a common theme throughout life in any area. Dudes will act like they have the same interests as you, or they want to work, collaborate, you know, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. True, mm-hmm. you find out their true intentions is they just don't have the balls to ask you out on a date. How do you feel about that? Do you view beauty as like a double-edged sword? It is a double-edged sword, for real. It does give you access to things for sure. Sometimes it gives you access to things and then there is a secret price you have to pay for that that is not uh-huh. told up front. It works to your advantage in some ways. Like, I'll, I'm not going to lie, it got me out of traffic tickets. As far as being very advantageous business-wise, mm, it might garner me an audience, but at the end of the day you have to have mm. a product that is valuable because it's not lasting. So I think it works in certain venues and in certain venues it can be a hindrance. And the other thing that I that I have really learned is that attractiveness doubled with being a kind, friendly person can actually sometimes be dangerous, cause problems, which is men men wonder why attractive females are bitches. Well, because they fucking have to be. <laughs> right. you, you got to have your shield up in order. Yes, yeah. you do. Yep. Because I don't think that's usually talked about. Like, it's just because you're attractive, that's all people assume you are. Where it's like, oh, how'd she get here? It's not because she's put in the work and she knows the industry or she can make the product or she can write music really well. Everyone just immediately has a story in their mind of the only reason she's here at all is just because she's... So they kind of write you off and you're not taken seriously from like a business standpoint, perhaps. Truthfully, like, you you can be taken for that, but when you have the receipts, when you have the paperwork, mm. when you can show your work, mm-hmm. people can say that all they want, but you have proof that that's not actually the case. And and that's that's where I get a lot of respect and 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 kindness mm. from from like my followers on social media and stuff like that. That's 
that's one of the biggest things the feedback that I get from people why they follow me why they like me they they can see how hard I work they can see what what I'm doing and and I and I definitely make an effort to portray that to people and be transparent as I can be about that because for me personally the looks and the beauty and like whatever you know people see when they see me right off the bat that came second Mm. to my work ethic always I, as a child, I was raised to work hard from doing yard work, you know, all my teenage mm-hmm. years during the summer, literally when I was 16 year old, using a pickaxe to dig a ditch <laughs> for a sprinkler system. You know, that's the kind of work ethic that I was raised with. I was never given anything. Things were not paid for for me. I bought my own first car. You know, I paid for college myself. I paid for my mm-hmm. trip to New York. I paid for i I have had to work and pay for every single thing that I have down to the last penny. That has always been a a value for me, and that's always been something Mm. that came before any... I used to be like a tomboy. I used to be... I used to play with mm-hmm. bugs. I used to catch bugs and like catch spiders. And I was the uh-huh. one in my family that my, my family would be like, Sarah, there's a spider in here. Come and get it. <laughs> like literally, like you will not believe that about me. But I was just like a grimy little kid that didn't like uh-huh. to take showers kind of a thing. So uh-huh. so the, for me, the attractiveness and the, the, the pretty hair, like whatever, that was just stuff that I learned later on in life. It's definitely not at my core or, or what, you know, my, the foundation of who I am. To tie all these pieces together into kind of some themes where it's, it's like you're saying, like hard work and getting things done, that's just been instilled in you. It was also kind of instilled in you that hard work and getting things done perhaps is where your value came from and you mm-hmm. needed to earn. And then it's like, but you've done so much. In your, you've done the business side of things where you've created your own business. You've done like the meal prep company. You've made your check. You've also competed in competitions. You've now have your album coming out and you're performing. You've made all these clothes. You've experienced kind of, you know, the, the negative side of the church and maybe hopefully some of the positive. And then mm-hmm. the relationships you've been in, you've kind of experienced not being allowed to be yourself. And now as an artist, you're kind of stepping into all of this. So all, everything that you've gone through, what are kind of some of the lessons people could take away from like listening to this where it's like, so what, what would you say value and worth comes from and how do you kind of think about navigating relationships and finding worth and meaning? How do you kind of think about these themes that have kind of been reoccurring through your life? I would say value and worth is inherent. I would say what's, what's the most valuable thing to, is, is being yourself. Discovering who you mm-hmm. are, accepting who you are, and being that. Because the world needs people who who genuinely accept themselves because we can't accept other people until we accept ourselves. How you treat other people is paramount. You could be the richest, wealthiest, most talented person in the world, and if you treat other people like shit, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Your worth is who you are, being genuine, and how you treat other people, I would say, is bottom line. And so, like, some of the warning signs would be if someone makes you feel like you have to measure up or earn up to them, that, that's a script that you've kind of played off for for a long time, but mm-hmm. you're, you're now saying you fully reject that, that if someone makes you feel not good enough as yourself, you're just not going to put up with that. Yep, as long as you're treating other people right, as long as you, you, you treat other people with the same, you know, respect and, and, and value that you, that you treat yourself, then it's like, it, it has to go both ways, and... 
And if anybody tells you you're less than that, then it's, it's bullshit. You, you know, you and humans inherently have worth in my opinion. Yes. And then for yourself as someone who, it sounds like you, you very much enjoy a challenge. You very much enjoy growing. You like improving yourself. How do you tell like a toxic person from someone who's actually like giving you helpful criticism? Um, I would say it's in their approach. I would say the people who like really genuinely care about me and, and give me constructive criticism, it's how they, it's how they give it. Hmm. It's, it's out of, it's out of a kind, caring heart. It's typically when, when somebody just is coming at you with criticism, 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 they're really, mm-hmm. usually they don't really accept themselves. Usually it's a, ref- it's a, it's a projection of, of their unacceptance of themselves, but somebody who, who really cares about themselves and cares about you will usually approach it in a way that's like, you know, I see what you're trying to do here and I, and I, and I, I think that you're coming from a good spot here, but here's maybe some things that you could try. That type of thing. You know, acknowledging either your mm. efforts or the things that you have done well and then making suggestions that are actually helpful to you and not just hurtful. That's good. I like that. Wrapping this all up, I mean, you got your album coming out in two weeks, or mm-hmm. the performance. Uh, two how weeks you, at the latest. <laughs> what at the at the latest? Yes. Yeah. So, what do you? What are some of the things you're talking on about there? Where this is things you kind of you're now expressing that you kind of kept back for a while. Do you have any like themes or thoughts kind of that have been predominant on that that might kind of like apply to some of the stuff we've talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so like one of the most uh, recent songs that I'm just wrapping up right now is a song. Really, um, it's about what it's like as a female kind of breaking the stereotype of unfortunately you would think in 2018 we don't have the stereotype anymore but unfortunately it's still pretty um, prevalent in our society is the the theme of women rely on their male counterparts for, for income for financial support for accomplishing things whether it be in life and business things like that it's just people still have a hard time wrapping their their minds around women who make good money women who are driven and motivated by success and financial stability within their Mm -hmm. their own power and their own right and so i've learned to as a female dating men um I use that term, term pretty loosely, but, you know, I'm spending time with mm-hmm. men getting to know males and stuff like that, having a hard time feeling, I don't even know if it's the word is feeling comfortable, but like, yeah, I mean, yeah, feeling comfortable and feeling secure in themselves if a female who is, can take care of herself, who wants her own money and doesn't want anything from him, you know, who, who likes working hard, who might be busy and not see him as much as he wants to, her to see him kind of a thing, you know, kind of a, um, a traditional role reversal, I guess, in a, in a sense. And so, you know, just talking about like opening up that can of worms and saying like, yeah, I'm going to work hard. Like we can still hang out, but let's work hard together. You know, let's hustle together. Let's make money together. It doesn't have to be about me supporting you, you supporting me. Like, let's do this thing together and kind of addressing that and, and, and the male side of that where the males get insecure and where, where the males are, you know, oh, how come, where are you at? Um, you know, what are you doing? You must be doing something shady. Like, no, I'm actually just been working a lot. <laughs> Like you're saying, that what used to be the stereotypical, like the, the nagging woman, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Not a popular look for males, and so it's not talked about much. 
but I've experienced it a lot. I, I'm not saying every man for sure. I would, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not making blanket statements, but I've, I've run into um, a, a lot of individuals who can't, it makes them uncomfortable and they're not really sure what to do about it. Well, I think that's fair, right? Like traditionally where a man finds his identity or his worth is being the breadwinner and being the provider. And so someone who comes along and it's like these things that you want to provide, I'm actually better at them than you are or right, like I'm earning more than you or I have more drive or I'm out. So, I mean, that is an interesting dynamic where, like you're saying, you're kind of what you're kind of upending what traditionally has been how, you know, a guy relates to a girl and vice versa. So really encouraging women to just be like, if you're either with me or you're not, but I'm going to keep working and I'm going to keep working towards my goals and stuff regardless, you know, and if you can't hang, you can't hang. And, and ladies don't, and ladies don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yes. And I want, and that 100% speaks to your experience, right? Where you, yeah. like you, as you described growing up, it's like these parts of you, it's like, but actually I don't know that I need someone to quotes unquote take care of me as if I'm this sheltered person who can't do so I'm independent and I can do all this and what's holding me back is that other people make me feel guilty for being as capable as I am. Yeah, and men and men are often confused by that because they're like, But it's the damsel in distress, it's the pretty girl and, and she right. needs help and it's like, Nope, I got it. I guess my point would be, because I, I, I think like your story and like what you're saying, like I think that needs to be told. But what I'm saying, there are some like, what about a woman who's like, but actually I'm very happy being kind of this nurturing, supportive, right? They they shouldn't be made to feel as if they truly are enjoying that and truly that's what speaks to them. I think they should be proud of that as well. Like you're saying, it's being true to who you are. And for you, that wasn't what speaks to you or where you found fulfillment. Well, but also, but also like in that, in that same song, I mentioned that it's like, I uh, still raise my kid and take care of my kid and, and be nurturing it. And that's the other thing too. So, so that's one of the songs, but then I also have a, you know, I, I, I don't want to present like an unbalanced like perspective either, because I do have a more sensitive, you know, side to me and mm. stuff like that. If I, that, that does want companionship and love and that has insecurities and things like that too. So I do have other songs like, you know, like that as well, yeah. just talking about the insecurities of, of being in a relationship and, and, you know, wondering if things are going to work out with you and your partner or if you're just like overanalyzing things or, you know, like overthinking things and uh-huh. things like that. So definitely songs like that. So presenting both sides, but I feel like presenting them at least more equally than they typically are presented. Yes, and that's fair. And like you you should be speaking about your experiences and that's what yeah. you've gone through. So like I'm not at all saying you should, you should be speaking for everyone. So I, I get that, but just from like a, I, just from my experience, it's like I don't feel like what a tradition, like a, a woman's traditional strengths, I don't feel those are appreciated or valued or I think they're actually looked down upon because she's not successful at a career, because she's not this driven. And if she is, great, but if she doesn't want power, if she doesn't want, you know, money, then it's almost like I think a lot of women, they don't, they're not proud of, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom who's very nurturing, very supportive, I'm very... I don't feel that's, do you feel that's celebrated? You go, girl. I mean, like, honestly, like, if, if that's your bag, then do your thing and, and be proud of that. And, and definitely, I would say that's my overall attitude in general. But, you know, in, in this particular song, that's, that's what I touch on. And, and, you know, if the shoe fits, then wear it. I can only speak from my own experience, speak for, for the people who have felt the way that I have felt. I tend to be a more headstrong, independent yes. type female. I've had a lot of life experience, but 
um, you know, in the future, be talking about, you know, what it's like to be a mom and, you know, and, and, and taking care of my son and, and balancing all that, of course. Yeah, and, no, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of speaking out both, both sides of my mouth because I like your story needs to be told and you need yeah. to share it. But just the, the irony to me is like, I don't think there's ever going to be mom who would ever write a rap song about doing the dishes and Probably wanting to be appreciated not. for that. If a woman came up to me and was like, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I, I love being taking care of my kids, I was, like I said, I'd be like, you know, girl, do your thing. Like, if you are happy with that, but, but just letting women know that, like, that's not all you're worth. Like, oh, 100%, but where is their song? Where is their song? And also, girl, you can do both. You can do both. You can go have a career, or you can you can pursue your passion, and you can love on and take care of your kids. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to box yourself into one or the other. And and I feel like I you know I'm I'm coming from a perspective where I was boxed into one, and mm-hmm. and I I had to you know kind of find that balance with myself. Truthfully, you know, find that balance mm-hmm. where 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 I can I can fill both roles. You know, things of, of it is just like, you know, talking about, you know, being independent and, and being comfortable with kind of like taking charge of your life. I also call some people out on their bullshit, you know, some kind of <laughs> shady relationship mm-hmm. stuff that I've been through, but also some very vulnerable stuff, too. I mean, like, I have a, a, mm. a song called Honest about not being the better person in the relationship and maybe being the one causing the problem kind of a thing too mm. so I, I really tried to I, I I feel like I've been on on both sides of the coin and so I definitely represent you know those experiences in, in my music it's coming out soon if people are interested in this and want to listen to it what's the best way for them to check it out for them to check it out would definitely be through my Instagram because I'll be posting updates on that but you can also check me out on SoundCloud that's where I will for sure have my music and hopefully soon be releasing some of this on major streaming platforms like Spotify and iTunes and things like that it's Ya Girl Y-A it's Ya Girl Bonita is my Instagram handle and then Bonita Sarita and that's B-O-N-I-T-A S-A-R-I-T-A is how you can find me on SoundCloud. Yeah, anger's a liar, he ain't got no respect. I fell in love with my pain and I slept with my regret. Happiness saw it happen, maybe that's why she up and left.